Welcome to this episode of the best of real talk. We know we interview a lot of people and you might not have a chance to check out everything we do. And so this is our opportunity to look back at some of our favorite conversations. Quite frankly, the best content we've produced. And this episode is all about weather. This episode of real talk is presented by we know training. It's not news to anybody that the cost of living is out of control. You know, it goes hand in hand with that. The cost of doing business has gone up too. If you need to boost your revenue, one of the best things you can do is to create a standout training program. We Know Training is your best training partner for creating courses and programs that sell. They've helped associations, regulators, nonprofits, and more generate millions in revenue without any extra work for their teams in creating, managing, and selling those training courses. Want to learn more? Visit weknowtraining.ca and see what they could do for your business. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Aaron J. Jack is wired a little bit differently than most of us. He's a professional storm chaser. He loves running into the eye of the storm or just shy of it. And he doesn't mind at all when his windshield gets obliterated by softball-sized hailstones. Enjoy this interview. This is Storm Chaser Eric Jack, just to the southwest of Didsbury, Alberta, with a tornado in progress right now, moving off to the east. Big tornado forming overhead, intermittent touchdowns, big funnel cloud overhead. Stay alert if you are downstream from Didsbury, Alberta. Big tornado forming right now. This is not tornado war, but it's about the touchdown. Now, more than a million people have watched his footage of that July 1st storm, and he joins us now live. Aaron Jack, welcome to Real Talk. It's nice to see you. Hey, uh, thanks for having me, here, having me here on Real Talk. And actually, that was a, a pretty fantastic uh, description of myself and what I do. So <laughs> well, I applaud you on that. Well, listen, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say I've been following you for years because I haven't. I only have just discovered you, and I haven't stopped DMing you on Twitter ever since. Because the deeper I get into your YouTube channel, uh, the more intrigued I am. Uh, you know, what makes you tick? How did you get into this? What sort of nerve do you have to have to head straight for something like? Like that but 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 help us understand what led up to july 1st like where are you right now how do you track storms and what prompts you to to drive halfway across the continent yeah so right now i'm in boisevain manitoba i'm actually i'm a u.s citizen but i am in the process of becoming a permanent resident here in canada uh, my wife is a canadian and she's a storm chaser as well uh, she has a full-time job but so doesn't uh, storm chase professionally but we met on Twitter uh, back in 2018, and uh, and then things have taken off from there. And we have a, a son together. His name's Jet, uh, like the Jet Stream. And yeah, so you know, I uh, my, every day as you know, I desire to be in the the biggest, baddest storms. So every morning I wake up, and first thing I do is get a cup of coffee and start looking at weather models and. Uh, in this particular chase, you know, I had been watching the weather models for at least a week out from El- uh, from that Alberta system, that that storm chase, and I had kind of seen that there were hints that there was going to be se- severe weather in Alberta on that on Canada Day on that Saturday, even the day before. Uh, and so, 
Yeah, you know, as the day got closer to the to Canada Day, I started honing in on more of a target area, and I left the day before Friday, and my initial target area was kind of the Red Deer and to the southwest towards the foothills, uh, towards the Rocky Mountains was kind of my target area. So I left Friday and drove uh, all the way to got to Medicine Hat and stayed the night in Medicine Hat. Uh, woke up Saturday morning, looked at, again, surface observations, looked at weather models. And to me, it looked like that likely a storm, the tornado was going to happen uh, near Olds, Alberta. So I was driving along Highway 2 to the north uh, midday, you know, around lunchtime, looking off to the west towards the towards the foothills. And I could start to see the, the storm starting to bubble up. Uh, and I, you know, I, eventually I got to a point where, okay, I, I need to go to the West and wait right here. Cause I think it's going to happen right here. And I was Olds, Alberta. I went to Olds, Alberta, got some lunch at a little place. Uh, I think Prairie Donaire. Nice. What it was called. Uh, I had had Donaire for the first time in Nova Scotia last year, chasing Fiona. So now I have this, uh, kind of a love for Donaire. So how did, how did the Donaire stack up in Olds? It, uh, it was it was decent. Uh, it wasn't as good as the one that I had in, in uh, Nova Scotia. So, but you're, you know, we're going to hear from like the Donair lobby now because you yeah. know there's like there's like a th- in our hometown of Edmonton there's like a hundred shops that fight it out for supremacy. I'm not even going to start yeah. naming them because I'm going to I'm going to make friends, but I'll make more enemies in the process of doing so. So you have lunch in Olds, and 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 what are you keeping? And so now you're you obviously you've got you've got some weather models, and, and you've got some I'm sure some apps and some tech that you have access to, but you've also got just just your gut instinct right you're you're watching the sky you're feeling the air pressure i'm imagining well yeah 100 that right i get the olds and i've already i'm i can tell a storm's gonna happen it's just a matter of time what i didn't wasn't expecting was how rapidly things would uh, would occur so i go in to get my donair uh it's kind of a sunny skies and not real not much going on but just a little bit of bubbling of clouds off to the west i get my donair walk out of the the, the, the restaurant and all of a sudden I could see that, oh my God, like things are really going to go bonkers here. Uh, sky is dark. I could tell a big time storm was brewing off to the West. So I started driving towards it while I was eating my donair. <laughs> so everybody else is, is either fleeing the area. Uh, maybe I'm being dramatic. A lot of people are certainly taking cover. They're, you know, paying attention to the storm warnings. Uh, we all got them on our phones that, that sort of, you know, that, that sort of mass text that goes out and everybody goes, Oh my gosh. When people see when, when most, and don't, don't take offense to this, Aaron, I was say when most normal people, when regular people get a message like this, uh, an alert on their phone, they pay close attention. There was one down in Calgary uh, just yesterday. And we heard from our family members down there. They're in the basement per the instructions, but here you are, you're, you're, you're racing toward it uh this is granted a very civilian type question but how do you know you're not going to get swept up in this like you're driving your subaru right and, and and you're heading straight for this thing it could it could change paths and, and all of a sudden you could find yourself you know 100 meters in the air right yeah well it all comes down to experience so all these storms a supercell which is generally what spawns a tornado uh they all have the sim- similar structure you know they have a, what's called a rain-free base which is the updraft area where the tornado is going to form air, warm air, moist air rises up into the storm and then it ejects out away from the storm downwind and moves that rain away so that the storm can breathe and pull in that energy. And so once you, you have a lot of experience, you've seen thousands of storms like I have. I mean, you can just look at a storm and tell where the tornado is going to happen. And in fact, the tornado was on the ground and I was reporting it on Twitter before there were even tornado warnings going out. Uh, even before the storm was producing a tornado, I tweeted out on Twitter. I was like, 
this is going to be a very dangerous storm very shortly. So be paying attention, right? And then, you know, I did got a little bit of traction on the tweet, but not much. But then the tornado formed and then things just went bonkers from there. All right. We want to like we're showing people a bunch of a bunch of your footage. And it's remarkable. And, and I want to get nerdy, by the way, in a second, ask you about your tech setup and how that how that all works, too. But but uh, Johnny, we pulled a few clips here. Why don't we go here? So this this is like as all hell is breaking loose. Here he is. We got to go check on this house. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's bad, guys. It's very bad damage. Oh my god. Oh my god. That house looks okay. This looks like a farm off to the right. Oh, this house got hit. Bad. Oh my god. So for for people that are just listening to this, you're you're seeing basically just splintered remains of a couple of properties. This this Tornadoes pass through there. What, like, like forty-five seconds before you're there? The dust has barely settled. What's going through your mind? Is your heart beating? Like, how are you feeling? You're, you're obviously uh, concerned about human life. You're there to check on people's well-being. T- take us through that. Yeah. So as I'm driving up to the tornado, right before that clip you just showed, uh, you know, I saw the tornado moving towards the highway. Uh, my, one of the things I'm doing. You asked about tech. I have a 360 camera. Actually, I have two of them mounted at the top of the car. And I'm trying to capture 360 video to where people can put on virtual reality goggles and actually experience what it's like to be right up next to one of these beasts. And to be able to get good footage, you got to get right up next to it. I mean, I was trying, I actually wish I had gotten a little bit closer, but you got to get really, really close, right? Uh, And so as I'm driving up to it, I start, see, I saw a roof go flying. I saw debris flying. So I knew it was starting to hit structures. Uh, Even hear me yell like, oh, it hit something big. And, uh, you know, What's going through my mind is that at that point, it, jo- it goes from joy because for me, being right next to a tornado like that, it's like the most blissful, joyous experience of my life. Like I will drive 30 hours for these things, right? Just for that 15 minutes. Uh, sometimes it's only 30 seconds, but 15 minutes of complete, absolute joy for me. But that joy sometimes turns into a nightmare. I knew, I thought for sure I was going to find injured or even deaths from this tornado after seeing the damage that I had done. In fact, it was one of the most, I I can't, it's hard to even put into words. Like when I was looking off to the left at the tornadoes, I'm driving up to the houses. It was like glitter, uh, sparkling. All the little bits of the farm was just churned up and swirling around. And I actually, I had never seen anything like that before. I've been, I've seen thousands, hundreds of tornadoes, thousands of storms. And I'd never seen it where it was like little bits of glitter just flying around. So I thought for sure I was going to find deaths or injuries. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible that that no human lives were lost uh, through the course of that storm. Obviously, some livestock was lost, and, and I know that that's a tough situation. Uh, but, but generally speaking, when you look at that swath of destruction, I mean, part of me, I imagine if that, you know, if that happens over an urban center, uh, you're talking about a completely different ballgame. We know oh, that here yeah. in Edmonton, almost 30 people killed back in 1987 yeah if this tornado would have hit a big city like edmonton or calgary it would have been really i mean there would have been you know 30 deaths maybe maybe more than that it would have been very very bad it was just it was a violent tornado the roar uh so i've seen lots of tornadoes right so i can look at a tornado and get a pretty good idea of how strong it is and i knew this one was violent you even hear me in my video i'm yelling it's violent it's a violent tornado i could see the double inflow jets 
uh, as it's pulling in air, right? I could see an inflow jet is where you see this stream right along the ground and it's moisture and dirt and debris being sucked into the vortex, turned around and then shot up into the atmosphere. And based on that, and then the roar, only the strongest, the top echelon of tornadoes have these this roar. So I knew it was, I even thought maybe it was an EF5 tornado. It crossed my mind. I didn't want to say that, but it crossed my mind right at the moment. It was maybe an EF5. Ends up being an EF4 tornado. So Eric, very violent, you, very strong. For those of us that, that don't really understand like the, the ratings or the, how it all works, uh, when you said, I almost wanted to call it an EF5, but I didn't, is, is that like rating a restaurant a perfect 10 type thing? Like, Take us through the difference. Yeah, so there's a, the rating goes from EF0 to EF5. The majority of your tornadoes are going to be EF2 and lower. Uh, an EF0 tornado might break some tree limbs. Uh, an EF1 tornado start doing damage to a home, maybe ripping some shingles off, to, you know, ripping off siding. Uh, EF2 tornado is going to start destroying a, a house, breaking down walls, and the, maybe ripping the roof off. And then you start getting into the EF3, EF4, EF5 tornadoes. EF3 can destroy a home, but maybe not completely. It leaves some walls standing. That's why they say get into a, a middle part of your home, you know, into a bathroom with no windows, because a lot of times an EF3 tornado will just knock down outer walls and leave that bathroom, those bathroom walls standing. Now, when you get into the EF4s, the violent tornadoes, EF4s and EF5s, an EF4 is going to be total devastation to a home, knock all the, the walls down. Uh, this tornado rolled a combine like 50 meters. And, uh, you know, you're very rare that you're going to have an EF4, EF5 tornado. And then the EF5s are the most rare. In fact, uh, there's only been one in Canadian history, 2007, Eli Manitoba was an F5 tornado. Uh, and there has not been any other F5 or EF5 tornadoes in Canada since then. This one, an EF4, uh, was only the second EF4 uh, in Alberta. The strongest uh, tornado since 1987, Black Friday Edmonton tornado, was an EF4. And I think the last EF4 in Canada was in 2013. So, again, a rare tornado. An EF5 tornado is going to sweep everything away. All you're going to be left with is maybe a slab. Uh, and, and that's it. There'll be nothing left that debris will be, you know, just ripped away from the home site that was destroyed. And it's actually hard to get an EF5 tornado, uh, because the enhanced Fujita scale is based on damage indicators and damage indicators are, for example, an EF5 tornado is going to need to hit a well-built home, a home that's been bolted down very well to its foundation down to the ground and bolts essentially get sheared off and blown away. Uh, as an example, an EF5 tornado in Joplin, Missouri, was able to pick up those those concrete blocks in a parking lot that when you drive up to uh, that are flat to the ground, so wind can't even get underneath them. They weigh several hundred pounds. And in Joplin, Missouri, they picked up these blocks and blew them away. Uh, and then even moved a hospital, which is usually a very very well built you know fortress. It moved the hospital off its foundation, and that that uh, that hospital had to be destroyed and rebuilt. So EF5 is very very rare event, uh, 201 plus mile per hour tornado. 
it's 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 just hard to wrap your mind around it. Uh, back on on May the eighth, and people can check our podcast archives, check out our YouTube channel if they want to watch it. We talked to uh, Mike Flanagan. Uh, Mike's I think widely regarded as as one of Canada's most in the know wildfire experts, and he was talking to us about the 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 real intensity of the early wildfire season, and and he talked about the impact of climate change, and 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 really interesting insight for anybody that wants to watch that. That was on May the eighth. You've been storm chasing for years uh your sample size obviously isn't 2000 years on planet earth but based on what you've seen over the past while in, in your estimation is storm activity getting worse are they getting more intense more frequent what are your observations uh my observations are that things are becoming more frequent uh especially when you get into like tropical cyclones which really uh so one of the things with warming is that warming that air it's creating the environment the atmosphere to be more moisture laden and hurricanes really feed off that warm moist air and you know i've been chasing for 20 years over 20 years uh and in the last 10 years uh, i've been in several major hurricanes and you know if you look at the the statistics like it's more major hurricanes than previously you would have seen you know in, in that 10-year time span right but again it's it's a small sample size but to me my anecdotal evidence is that storms are becoming more frequent the more powerful ones are becoming more frequent but it's not necessarily making storms any more intense it's just those intense storms may be happening more frequently, right? You know, we're bound by the, the laws of physics here on Earth, which is a constant. And you're, you know, you're not going to get a, a hurricane that's producing thousand mile per hour winds, for example, uh, because of, of climate change, right? Mm. But you may see more frequent category five, category four hurricanes. You may be seeing more frequent tornadoes, tornado outbreaks and things of that nature. You got to tell us about this. Let's let's throw to this uh, this audio. Uh, what you're about to hear is softball sized hail absolutely blowing up Aaron's windshield. Here he is from New Mexico. Here comes emergency crews, guys. Emergency crews coming. I'm going to I'm going to keep up with the storm. I can't get in there anyway. There's power lines. But emergency crews are coming. I see lights just behind me. That is, uh, of course, video from the Didsbury tornado. But I want to load up this uh, this Roswell, New Mexico video. This is this is just wild. You got to check this out. Here's here's Aaron uh, during a hailstorm like most people won't ever see. So whether you're watching this on YouTube or listening on the podcast, you can almost feel this happening. And Aaron, I guess you're experiencing your vehicle taking on some pretty significant damage in, in real time. Is this, a, is this a gut punch at the time or in a sick and twisted way? Or are you kind of totally enjoying this? Oh, yeah, this was awesome. This is one of my best chases of that year. Uh, my window was already kind of beat up. The windshield has had a couple of cracks in it already. So uh, I, eventually, I usually, you know, th that's my favorite time of year is when I can finally punch into a big core and just blow it out completely. <laughs> so how do you, so a hailstorm like that, when, when you're sort of, I guess, heading into that storm, when you're chasing a tornado, there's the visual, there's the tornado. A hailstorm is just kind of chaos all around. How do you approach that differently? 
Yeah, so, you know, the difference is, uh, you know, there's a little bit more of a caution with chasing the tornadoes. You're trying to make sure uh, you're getting as close as possible, but keeping yourself a safe distance away. Uh, with the hailstorm, you're just driving right into the meat at the most dangerous part of the storm. And, uh, you know, and, and eventually, you know, when you're chasing a supercell like that, you get to a point to where you don't think the storm is going to produce a tornado. And now it's time to go get a different the mo- a different money shot, if you will. And in this case, it was blowing myself up in the in the hail core. <laughs> yeah, a- absolutely unbelievable stuff. Um, is it for, for you and your, you know, you, you guys come, you sort of have this storm chasing family. Uh, is this something you guys do together? Is it the couple that chases storms together, stays together? Or are you oftentimes intrigued by different things and, and oftentimes on opposite sides of the continent yeah no we definitely uh storm chase together you know don't take the kids unless it's a, a weak system and we're just going to look at pretty clouds and stuff and maybe a little bit of lightning but in fact uh one of my biggest tornado intercepts was uh august 7th 2020 in manitoba uh near the town of scarth manitoba and my wife was with me she was nine months pregnant and we intercepted, you can find it on YouTube, uh, one of the most beautiful tornadoes that we had ever seen, that I had ever seen. And uh, two days later, uh, my, my wife gave birth to our son, Jet, and we're sitting in the, in the hospital. And, and this made big news. It was all across Canada. Again, it was another uh, event that was all around the world. <clears throat> and we're sitting in the hospital and watching watching myself doing these interviews on the, on the TV there. <laughs> it's got to be pretty cool when, uh, when a video gets a million hits when, when people when when something that you're working on when your passion uh really connects with somebody and resonates with people and and in a circumstance like to bring this full circle back to the didsbury tornado you you uh, at at personal risk to yourself uh are, are taking people along and 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 actually uh providing in a way a real service for folks that 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 i mean technology and social media allows now something we couldn't have even imagined even 10 years ago yeah absolutely and that's what you bring up a very good point because you know i I mentioned earlier about the joy the blissfulness like it's what i love to do i love being next to these storms but one of the main roles out there as a storm chaser is being those eyes on the ground i mentioned that the storm was producing a tornado before it was ever tornado warned. And the reason that that is, is, is because radar is a, you know, it's a, you've seen these radar stations maybe, and it's a beam that goes out at an angle and looks up into the storm. So the further away you are from the storm, the higher up that the radar is looking and being able to see. So meteorologists at Environment Canada, National Weather Service in the United States, they can't see with radar what's happening at the surface. So it comes to storm chasers like me to report out to the public and to these weather services of what's happening. And like I said, I'm live tweeting when I'm uh, in the field. I'm also live streaming on YouTube when I'm in the field. So the goal is that hopefully people that live there that are in these what I call danger zones will come and they'll tune in and they'll be able to see what's happening. You know, you get an alert on your phone. And a lot of times people will ignore these warnings. And it's a big problem in Canada, especially Uh, in the United States. Tornado warnings are very localized. They're very good at getting the exact track to where that tornado is at. In Canada, they haven't honed it in as well. And sometimes you get half the province is tornado warned. And the tornado might be, you know, three, four hundred kilometers away and they're getting tornado warnings. And you get what's called uh, warning fatigue. You know, Mm. people have seen 
they've gotten tons of warnings and they've never seen a tornado. So then they stop ignoring them like, oh, it's not going to happen to me. And then eventually, you know, it does happen to people it, you know, all the time that, that, that that's the case that happens where mm-hmm. they, they're used to ignoring it and then they get hit by a tornado. So it's very important to be on the ground there trying to provide that ground through those visuals. You know, if people see a monster tornado like that Didsbury tornado, they're really going to take it a lot more seriously than if they just get a warning on their phone. Yeah, no kidding. Well said. Uh, on our live chat, uh, Cinderella says uh, one of uh, their colleagues actually lost their house in that tornado, the one that we're watching right now, your footage. Um, it says we've been going out to help them clear debris from the fields. I can't even imagine the debris was just I, even just watching it. And I'm, I've been mesmerized. I think of your of your million views on that video. I think I'm like 100,000 of them. Uh, <laughs> but it's just it's amazing to see like huge pieces of well, you don't know what it is, but it looks like plywood and car parts and, and, and you know, barn roofing and like all kinds of stuff just swirling around. The power of, of nature is just absolutely wild. Lauren says yeah. we, we marvel at the power of nature. It wouldn't be possible without people like Aaron. Uh, what were you just going to say? Well, if you look at that clip, as I'm driving up to the house, uh, before you even see the trees that are snapped in half, the homes that are destroyed, one of the uh, significant uh, telltale signs that I knew was also was violent. And now watch here, you'll see a dark path going through the vegetation. That's ground scouring. The tornado was so powerful, it ripped the ground, the, the vegetation, the dirt right out of the ground right there. You see that black path Wow. Right through the middle of the screen. That's the path that the Vortex took. Jillian says, uh, incredible footage. This guy is so talented. Uh, how about this, Aaron? She says, this is what I mean when I tell my students they can do and be anything. How cool is that as a compliment? Um, one question here from Tony. Um, I, I don't remember the reference. I'm going to have to go back and rewatch Twister. But uh, Tony says, is there an actual Dorothy device? Is that a real thing that can like read tornadoes or was that just Hollywood? Yeah, from Twister, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. From Twister. Yeah. So I will want to mention one thing about Twister. You mentioned it earlier. In fact, Twister is one of the things that actually kicked off my passion for these tornadoes. I was already interested in weather, just didn't know that you could storm chase. And then I saw Twister and it just blew my mind. Right. I'm like, that's what I want to do with with the rest of my life. So, but yeah, uh, there are uh, devices, scientific devices. I've actually been a part of some teams that we've deployed uh, some devices into a tornado. In fact, we, uh, one of my friends, a well-known storm chaser, uh, has an armored vehicle, and we had rockets uh, mounted at the top of it. And we launched a rocket into a tornado in Kansas in 2019, another EF4 tornado. And it shot this rocket up with a payload device that captured real-time data down to a down to the armored vehicle. Uh, there's a Canadian in Alberta. Uh, he's on uh, Twitter. You can find him. His uh, Twitter handle is at Chase and Spin. He de- developed, he's a brilliant guy, developed the scientific device. And we were getting real-time readings using radio transmission of data inside the tornado while it was happening. So cool, man. Uh, we're really grateful that you were able to find time to talk to us. We knew it was, uh, no pun intended, up in the air because uh, at any moment you could be out on assignment. The good news now is hopefully you got a few thousand more followers, you know, people that are going to be paying attention to whatever the next storm is uh, that you're chasing. It's Aaron J. Jack. We've been hanging out with here live from Manitoba. You can find him online, all of his Twitter handles, uh, Instagram as well, at Aaron J. Jack. Thanks for this, my man. Stay safe out there. 
Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. And uh, I appreciate if anyone subscribes. It's tough being a storm chaser out there. But it's really expensive. I think gas is like $7 a gallon here in Canada right now. So any support you guys provide to my channel keeps me out there in the field. Yeah. Hey, be, be shameless for a second. Like, how do you how do you so professional storm chasers? So do you have like a Patreon or or people can send you this the kind of the tips on YouTube or how, how do you monetize it? Yeah, people can become members on my channel. And that's probably the best way because sometimes you run into problems. Uh, I just recently had some issues with YouTube demonetizing my video and uh, removing earnings from yeah. my video because they said I had invalid views, which I didn't. And so it's really tough. I, I've had contracts with re weather companies, uh, you know, where they're you know, they're basically sponsoring me to be out there. Uh, but right now I'm in the process of actually looking for a new sponsorship or uh, something, some kind of gig that's going to help me stay out there doing this and not put me back into a cubicle in corporate America or corporate Canada. No, I feel like I feel like you're the type of guy that needs to be a far, as far away from cubicles as possible. Calling all professional engineers or those soon to get their PNG anywhere in Canada or even beyond. The team at Apex Automation wants to talk to you. They're hiring skilled engineers and technicians that are keen on joining the move toward automation, that want to be part of Industry 4.0. Whether you're an electrical or instrumentation engineer, computer science or process engineer, mechanical engineer, electrician, instrument technician, you get the idea. There's a place for you if you want to realize your true career potential at Apex Automation. My wife Carrie and I are getting even closer to unveiling the finished product. Our journey with Eden Landscaping has been such an exciting one, one that we dreamed of for a long time. Going through that planning process with Mike and his team has been a total delight, and I was thrilled to see them work within our budget. We're just like any other family there. We had a vision and they have brought it through to completion. They have brought our backyard to life and they can do the same for you. Learn more about Eden Landscaping today at landscapeedmonton.ca. It doesn't matter if you're looking to show up at a birthday or an anniversary, some sort of other party, or heck, maybe it's just a regular day that could use a little touch of something special. No matter the occasion, enjoy layers of celebration with a DQ cake. A DQ cake from the Dairy Queens in Northwest Edmonton or Sherwood Park makes any occasion a happy occasion. You can visit them at Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, or along Baseline Road. Pick up a cake from one of their freezers or order one custom from the Dairy Queens in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Everybody's talking about the cost of living these days, and we know one of the biggest expenditures for families is groceries. Friesen Brothers has their flyer, the Family Essentials flyer, ready for you to check out right now at Friesen.com. Friesen Brothers, family-owned, understands what it's like. You want to put great food on the family dinner table, but you're watching your bottom line too. Check out Easy Family Meal Solutions right now. The Family Essentials flyers at Friesen.com.
Our next guest made international news when he walked away from a high-profile weathercasting job in the U.S. because of abuse he was taking online. I'm grateful that he took the time to speak with us just before his final shift. The effects of climate change are hitting communities across the globe, some faster than others. For people of color uh, in particular, climate change is personal. For many of these communities, they're experiencing these harms right here, right now. Now is the time everyone needs to come to the table. For a long time, the climate justice movement was not representative. It was not inclusive of the communities that actually disproportionately bear the brunt of these injustices. We'll continue to put band-aids on if we if we fail to address the system. The, the systemic nature of it. Can it be done? How? Boston has set very uh, aggressive goals, both for responding to climate change in terms of uh, sea level rise and flooding, and the city has committed to become carbon neutral by 2050. Welcome to The Climate Project. I'm meteorologist Chris Gloninger on the First Alert weather team. I've been covering climate change for 15 years, and in doing so, I've come to realize that there are some communities that are affected by it more than others. Before we get to that, though, let's start talking about the problem that is climate change. It's funny, Ryan. So my friend is the chief meteorologist uh, in Newfoundland in St. John. So he has not had me on the show, though. So this is the first. <laughs> OK, good. Well, I'm glad that we get to have those bragging rights. And it's a real honor to have you here. Um, Chris, we're going we're to get into the, you know, the serious stuff. I mean, you're, you know, you're uh, essentially walking away from a career, a, a storied and celebrated uh, career of, of, of 18 years, almost 20 years uh, for some pretty significant reasons. But but why don't we first get to know you a little bit? What drew you to meteorology? What drew you into broadcasting? Did you always dream of doing this? I did since second grade. Hurricane Bob back in 1991. I was in second grade going into the second grade and I was fascinated by the wind, the water. And then after the storm, all the sailboats that had washed up on our main street and the beaches surrounding our downtown. I was fascinated that Mother Nature could pack such a punch. And it was after that I continued that dream, that passion through elementary school, through high school and uh, made my way through college, got my undergraduate degree in meteorology and started in broadcast shortly thereafter, going all over the United States from upstate New York to Boston to the Great Lakes, now uh, here in Des Moines as chief meteorologist for another uh, day and a half. Yeah, for another day and a half. I mean, you, you, you wrap it up this week and uh, let, let's get to the tweet. This is the one that caught our attention. I'm grateful you responded to my inquiry, by the way. Uh, you told your followers, you told your fans, 18 years, seven stations, five states. I'm bidding farewell to TV to embark on a new journey dedicated to helping solve the climate crisis. And, and Chris, we'll obviously get to that. You say after a death threat stemming from my climate coverage last year and resulting PTSD, I've decided to begin this journey now. Can you talk to us about this? Yeah, it was um, a year into my tenure into Des Moines, and the station hired me uh, because of my climate work that I did in Boston. I think you mentioned I started the country's first weekly series on climate change in the United States, um, and it was something that I quickly became passionate about. I was covering some of these major storms for NBC, um, and... For the network, I was on the ground for 
many of the big storms between 2016, 2017, 2018. I was there covering Hurricane Harvey and Irma. And then I came back saying we need to do more. And that's how the, the coverage started. But I came to Iowa to talk about climate change in a part of the country that it really wasn't being talked about. It was being left out of the conversation. So I got some pushback, but it hit a peak when I received that death threat. And it was more than just a, I'll kill you. It was a drawn out um, kind of threatening email with, with how the person would carry it out. I was home at the time. My wife was out running errands. I made sure that she was okay. I called her, got her home. While I was paralyzed, I couldn't really walk or move. My mind was racing about all these possibilities. And it just launched what was a pretty stressful year. I had been a firefighter in college. I've been through some stressful times during that as well. But this was an, an element or a level of anxiety that I had never experienced before. And I asked myself, should I be getting help? And I think when somebody has that question in their head, do I need to get help? Chances are you need to see a therapist. And I made that decision. And for the last year, I've been going every week to a therapist to work on uh, the symptoms associated with PTSD. Well, first of all, can I say I think it's amazing, uh, number one, that you, you recognized you could use mental health supports, number two, that you sought out those supports, and number three, that you're talking about them. And uh, for a popular television personality like yourself to use phrases or use the word, say the word PTSD, talk about mental health is a huge deal. Was that something that you struggled with or did that part of it come easy, the, the whole kind of like hard on the sleeve? part of what you do yeah you know i as a first or former first responder i like to help people and i thought if i could share my story i could help other people and I, it isn't just me and in all of this it's other journalists it's scientists and it's this war on information and data and it's a war that is being fought against uh, ideology and beliefs and people believing that those beliefs are more powerful than data and facts and science. And we've kind of entered into this dangerous territory since 2016. And I wanted to tell people that they're not alone. If they're feeling these thoughts and don't feel comfort, uh, comfortable in talking about them, I wanted to be their mouthpiece. I wanted to, to be able to say, look, it's okay to realize your need for help. And I encourage you to get help. Because as I said, if you're questioning if you need it, Chances are you do. Yeah. Uh, Chris, the, the, the death threat. I, I mean, these, these are one of those things where, um, you know, I, I don't know if like the, the average person in the public, eye would say, oh, yeah, I've got my own death threat and they've got their own story and there's varying degrees. And I, I don't think that there's a lot, a lot of benefit to sitting and comparing them. But, but let me put it this way. Uh, the, the potential uh, price you may pay for not taking a death threat seriously uh, could be permanent. If you know what I'm saying and the abuse that uh, TV and radio hosts, that journalists, that reporters have faced, uh, you mentioned 2016. I mean, obviously, we're talking about the election of Donald Trump and, and how the dynamic changed, not just in the United States, but around the world. We've seen this ramp up. We've seen the temperature turned way up. Uh, you've been in broadcasting for nearly 20 years. W was that all a first for you? I mean, if, if you go back to the early days in upstate New York, the Great Lakes and everywhere else that you were stationed, uh, how different was it uh, temperature wise between the broadcaster and the audience than it is now? 
I think you always had pushback. And, and when you are in a role that is under the spotlight, you're getting people writing in saying, oh, I don't like the outfit you're wearing. Your hair looks stupid. Your makeup looks good. That I think we're used to it in doing this, or we don't like the way you sound. Um, and when we break into programming for severe weather and we're covering up your favorite evening shows, people aren't happy about that and they tell us what they think and I, that comes with the territory we grow a thick skin but what happened in 2016 is when we saw the flood of people felt emboldened and entitled able to share their beliefs um and, and even if it wasn't based on fact even if it wasn't based on um any data or science they felt like they could scary uh do you uh like with people people may wonder sort of what happened uh with this death threat my understanding is that there 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 wasn't there were charges laid correct and, and a 63 year old iowa man pleaded guilty uh thir to third degree harassment um are, are you confident that that this was handled in in the way that it needs to be handled or are you at peace in a sense, with that element of this story? I honestly, that it, a lot of these feelings and emotions have come back up. And with Bridge, his, this gentleman's name has been back in the news and it, it's making us relive those, those, those moments. And I think until we leave, until we can extricate ourselves from this situation, it's something that we really won't feel at peace with until we're, we're gone. And, you know, it, it's, it's difficult to have to kind of process this and, and, and relive some of these emotions. But I think we're in scary times in that you don't know when somebody is willing to take a stand on something that they believe, even if it is against all facts and logic, if it goes against their beliefs and they're willing to take a stand, that's my greatest concern. Uh, we don't know how far they're willing to take it. Yeah, it's a $150 fine here, which is kind of remarkable. Police uh, took it seriously, but maybe the state doesn't or needs to reevaluate how they treat death threats. I, I also want to say that uh, when it comes to the role that I was in, as chief meteorologist in the biggest city of this state, it's a high profile job in a market that has a lot of severe weather. And, it, and it's not lost on me that not a single politician on a certain side of the aisle never reached out, never, um, never came out and spoke up against those comments. And silence is deafening. We all know that saying. And in this case, it certainly is true. Uh, let's not let anybody off the hook here. Uh, and it's kind of sad that I can just assume who you're talking about. Are you talking about the Republicans? Is that what we're saying <laughs> on a certain side of the aisle? Let's let's get to it. Yeah, I mean, in this country, I mean, there's there's radical. Uh, there are many politicians, not just in the United States, that have become so radicalized since the 2016 election and former President Trump. Again, this was part of society that, you know, felt ashamed to be able to, 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 to say their feelings and beliefs. And they should have been kept quiet, right? I mean, if you are filled with hate um, and animosity towards somebody, those feelings should not be spread about. But I think that that was emboldened. People felt entitled to do that. And on a state level, it's very similar leadership that falls in line with what happened in our country as a whole in the United States back in 2016. 
the current leadership is is leadership that was um, got that s- s- stamp of approval by the the Trump administration back when when they came into office. Uh, Chris, you know you've posted some of the correspondence here, and, and and we'll read one. This is like the gentlest one, uh, just to let people know this is this is almost just like copy paste from anything that that any broadcaster might get in north america not to take away from your experience i'm just saying these voices have become louder and louder you got an email uh june 21st uh summer equinox isn't that i think uh summer solstice of of last year uh you know getting sick and tired of your liberal conspiracy theory on the weather climate changes every day always have has always will you're pushing nothing but a biden by the way why can these people never get the correct spelling of your there's your and your anyway anyway i i digress you're pushing nothing but a biden hoax go back to where you came from that that's like about the gentlest most tepid shallow end of the pool type one that we're going to read here but you you faced a barrage of these and then like you said a detailed uh, death threat folks that I don't know, worry about the future of planet Earth that worry about their grandkids. Grandkids might go, no, Cloninger one of the good guys. We need voices <laughs> like Chris Cloninger doing weekly series and features on the impact of climate change. We need these voices. So let's talk about what you're doing next. I'm excited about it. And I, I don't want people to, to think that I'm giving up. And I don't want my colleagues who are doing this important work to stop connecting the dots. And I never intended this to be hey, this is what you could get if you talk about it. No, I I want people to be stronger, bigger, and better than that. Uh, But I felt like after all of this, I needed to step back after 20 years. I needed to focus on my family, my life. My parents are in good good health. Same with my in-laws. I wanted to focus on my my wife and our relationship. And I also wanted to have a hands-on role and do climate 24 hours a day uh, as my main job. And I'm able to do that now going forward. I'll be starting at the Woods Hole Group. And it kind of branched off in the 1980s from the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute. And a group of oceanographers, coastal engineers thought that we could work with communities and, and build uh, resilience. And that has kind of developed into uh, working with towns, municipalities on preparing for climate change, building resilience, finding ways to mitigate and adapt to climate change. Everyone's going to want to live next to the water or whether that be an inland lake, a river or the ocean. Oceans are rising. Rivers are prone to more flooding. But how do we coexist naturally uh, with water? Uh, Those are some of the questions I'll be working on, putting my science hat on, looking at data, doing data analysis, but also communicating. Spending 18 years as a scientist that communicates is a skill set that is going to be transferable and will work uh, in, in I think, a pretty prominent role in helping communities understand their challenges and needs and work with the other engineers to kind of develop those plans to help protect them and make sure that they're around in 2050, 2070, 2100, all these big benchmarks. You know, and I, and I, I kind of... I hate saying I'm kind of laughing at the fact that my last days end up being the warmest days on Earth. Huh. I, I mean, and, and if you look at the top five warmest days, they've all happened since 2016. And, and some of that does have to do with the bigger global pattern of El Nino and, and the warm ocean waters in the Pacific. But we are dealing with a climate crisis. And five of those top 10 years have happened since 2016. And 
by five tenths of a degree and on a global scale, that is a significant number that we broke that record by. Um, and I am leaving on what will be one of the hottest days uh, in 125,000 years. And we know that through ice cores, we know that through ocean sediment, we were able to take that data uh, and, and analyze it and, and get a good understanding of what the atmosphere was like back over 100,000 years ago, which is remarkable, but it's also pretty scary and that we're now reaching those levels and uh, it should be sounding the alarm bells to everyone. Hmm. Well, you know, I don't have to tell you that a, a recent study released by Yale, a group of scientists studying climate change there, uh, acknowledged that three out of four Americans agree uh, that climate change is happening and that there's human impact. And I think it's worth reiterating, even in friendly interviews like this, it's worth reiterating the majority believes the science the majority believes the science. Let's continue to repeat that and remind ourselves that that's a fact. You know, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the city of Calgary. It's it's about three hours south of us here in Edmonton. They're about to host the Calgary Stampede. You know, millions mm -hmm. of people are going to visit that city. Uh, and uh, we talked to Calgary's mayor yesterday. She was on our show about a year and a half ago when she was first elected. The morning after, I said, what's your first order of business? This is an oil and gas center. This is Canada's energy capital, Chris. OK, uh, billions of dollars of commerce happened with the energy sector through the office towers of Calgary. And when we asked her a year and a half ago, what's your first order of business? She said, I'm going to declare a climate emergency and people blew a gasket. I mean, other people erupted in applause, but a lot of people were really upset. We followed up on it in our interview yesterday and, and people can listen to it wherever they get their podcasts, obviously. And and we said so reflecting back, looking back a year and a half. She says, you know what? She says 60 percent of the tech companies we talk about energy diversification. We talk about everything else, economic diversification, the intersection of the environment and the economy, all of these things. Uh, I'm sure even your colleagues that work in business reporting talk about this kind of stuff, let alone you. She said 60% of the tech companies that have come to Calgary since she was elected mayor are here to help oil and gas companies in that energy transition. In other words, it's been a boost for the economy to see a civic leader take the environment seriously. And I think that that's a really great news story. If I can also wax for a second here, let me say uh, you and I both, I'm sure, have had a lot of colleagues that have lost their jobs in broadcasting over the last while. It's been a tough slog for this industry as monetization changes and everybody's trying to figure out the best way to continue to keep those platforms alive. You're leaving on your own terms and you're going somewhere that seems to me to be a perfect fit for your skill set and i would argue uh, with having just known you now for 20 minutes chris that you're probably going to make an even bigger impact with the new work that you're going to be doing for the woods hole group it, it, it strikes me as a great opportunity i think it is and you know to your point there is going to be pushback and and people don't like change always right people are scared of change oftentimes and a lot of the misinformation that's put out there by people you know, it's poorly photoshopped graphs or charts that, you know, if you look at it a little bit closer, those like the Photoshop job is, is really poorly done. But you can Google anything you want and try to find the answer that you are looking for. And if you are dismissive of climate science, you can find the one or two people who, mm, if you connect the dots, are probably funded by, um, you know, someone that's a little bit questionable. But th those aren't the experts. 
to your point again, you know, 99.958% of the peer-reviewed published documents all support anthropogenic or man-made climate change. So at the end of the day, it's science, it's facts, and it's all based on data that goes back tens of thousands and with the ice cores, hundreds of thousands of years. Well, and can we also point out that, you know, much like the law of gravity, whether or not you believe it, it's relevant. Like the floods are going to continue. The fires are going to continue. The polar ice caps are going to continue to recede. We will continue to see the impact of climate change. I speak like this. I mean, I spell it out like this because I believe uh, that at some point, my seven-year-old son and my one-year-old son are going to maybe watch some of the shows that their dad did back in the day. Uh, Wyatt and Noah, I'm sorry about all the F-bombs. But other than that, I want them to see that their dad was on the record believing the science, you know? And so I don't care if somebody believes the science or not. That doesn't make the science any less relevant. Absolutely. I, I mean, um, <laughs> I, I, uh, the, the, the CNN, which is one of our national channels here, which I know that they're, they have a global presence, did this uh, advertising campaign back in that 2016-2020 era. And it was a picture. It was a simple ad. And it was great. And it sums up your argument quite well. It's a picture of an apple. And it said, this is an apple. If you call it an orange and keep calling it an orange, at the end of the day, it's still an apple. It's not going to become an orange. You can call it whatever you want, but at the end of the day, it's still climate change. And it's not going to go away. And it's not not happening because you don't want to think or believe that it's not happening. Just people need to grow up. People need to have a spine and, 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 and get uncomfortable about the conversation and talk about climate change and not be scared uh, that, oh, I, I can't, I don't have the, 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 the means to, to or the, the mental means to think about it because it's here. We're already seeing it. Chris, in closing, have you thought about, uh, as mentioned, you'll, you'll, be, you'll be wrapping up uh, this stage of your career at KCCI in Des Moines, Iowa, uh, at the end of this week, the end of this broadcast week. Do you have some final words planned? Have you thought about your sign off? Or are you just going to let it flow? I think just let it flow. Uh, there's going to be a lot of emotions that hit us when we're driving tomorrow evening to Massachusetts. I mean, to hang up an 18 year career, as you very well know, in this industry is, is an eternity. Um, it, it will hit me at some point. We're kind of living on uh, adrenaline, the anticipation, the excitement, the putting the behind us of, of the threat. Look, we made tremendous friends here. Uh, you know, people that you know are closer than some family that we have. Uh, there are great people here. They responded in with emails up to about 300 of them, all positive and happy with the job we're doing. So it's important to know it's the silent majority, silent, uh, it's the loud majority or the, sorry, the loud minority yeah. that are writing in. And I don't want people to get a bad taste in their mouth because that is not representative of all Iowans. Our, our time here has been very positive in many ways, but until we can really remove ourselves from the situation, I don't think that those emotions will hit us until we're out of this environment where, you know, we're having to watch over our, our, our you know, watch behind us to see what's happening and going on. Um, but with my going away message, 
you know, I want people to keep having that conversation. Just because I'm gone doesn't mean the conversation has to stop. I just want it to be starting. And I hope that I got the ball rolling in a part of the United States where it hasn't been discussed or talked about in regular conversation. We often uh, talk about and, and remind our audience. I don't think our audience needs reminding. We got a savvy, engaged audience here. We're really proud and we're honored uh, to gather with them every day in fellowship, as we say. But this audience understands the value of conversations that make us uncomfortable. And good on you for reporting uh, fiercely. Uh, and bravely in a jurisdiction where it's not easy. Heck, we talk about progressive politics in Alberta. I'm not sure how much you know about Alberta, but we get our fair share of blowback. But we're confident that we're talking about issues that matter to people, and we're going to keep doing it so long as the audience keeps showing up. Uh, one of those audience members in our live chat right now is Lauren. I happen to know he's a retired fire chief, and he says that, Chris, he has no doubt you will make a difference, and he wants to wish you all the best with your PTSD. If anybody can understand the value of of investing in your mental health it's first responders and former first responders like yourself chris we wish you all the best it means a lot that you made time for us i know that a lot of people want to talk to you i saw you did an interview with npr uh, really cool <laughs> to have you here on real talk out of, out of edmonton alberta canada we've been hanging out with chris Gloninger uh for two more days the chief meteorologist at kcci8 in des moines be well chris do you want to be part of Canada's green movement? Do you want to be part of the move toward net zero? Kubi Renewable Energy is Western Canada's busiest solar installer. And right now, they're hiring. They're looking for those with tickets and they're looking for apprentices too. Kubi Energy is young, they're growing, and they're reshaping the energy portfolio in Canada. You can check out some badass projects that they've been working on and apply to work there by visiting kubienergy.ca. Tens of thousands of Canadians trust Athabasca University with their post-secondary experience. Why? Well, in part because of its accessibility, its convenience. AU has world-class accredited online programs and courses that offer you the flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. You know what else is pretty great? Nearly 90% of Athabasca U graduates say they're in a job related to their field of study. You don't get that at every university, but it's just one of the reasons why you should check out AthabascaU.ca. We're seeing more and more stories of fires and floods in the news. And of course, every one of those stories has tough implications. Canadians are going to be trying to get their lives back. And for a lot of Canadians, that means a restoration project at home or at work. Don't trust a big project like that to just anybody. Complete Care Restoration has a team of experienced and certified professionals working in fire and flood damage, mold and asbestos removal, plus other construction and renovation projects. We've worked with them and they've earned two thumbs up. You can find them online at completecarerestoration.ca. If you're a decision maker for a business, big or small, or maybe for a municipality, you know the value the importance of keeping your eye on your bottom line. Local Environmental Services understands that too. And their customers in Edmonton and Whitecourt and Regina and area understand that they're about so much more than just garbage. 
They believe that communities deserve better. Learn more about your full-service environmental solutions partner, Local, by visiting localenvironmental.ca. Thanks for checking out the best of Real Talk. If you liked what you saw or heard here, make sure to subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to check out our merch or how you can become a Real Talk patron, check out our website, ryanjesperson.com, and catch fresh episodes of Real Talk weekdays at 8.30 Mountain Time. <laughs>